Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast, episode two of The Return. Uh, very happy to be ha- back on the podcast air. And we'll be producing some great new podcasts going forward, focusing on the many great stories in MedTech, many of which, of course, you'll hear at the MedTech conference, which will be held on June 1st at the Lowe's Minneapolis Hotel. So uh, go to medtechconference.com to register for that. Today, though, we'll be visiting with Leslie Trigg. Leslie is the CEO of Outset Medical, which is a really cool dialysis company, one that uh, combines uh, sort of uh, uh, consumer with med tech, with a little bit of cloud, a little bit of digital. Uh, it's it's device called a Tableau, and it's really it's designed to not necessarily upend the dialysis industry, but give it a new way of doing business, a way to sort of uh, appeal to the convenience mindset, convenience-oriented mindset of today's patient population. Uh, Leslie will tell the story better than I ever could. Uh, very happy to meet with her at J.P. Morgan. So enjoy this conversation with uh, Leslie. She's a, 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 great, uh, a great leader in MedTech. She's had uh, many great successes. And very happy to have her on our advisory board uh, at the MedTech Conference. So enjoy this conversation. Hi, this is Tom Salemi from Healthy GTV. We are here a few blocks away from J.P. Morgan, and I'm happy to be joined by Leslie Trigg, CEO of Outset Medical. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So we are pulling away the, the real kind of exciting stories uh, from, uh, from all the meetings at, at J.P. Morgan and getting them to come here to talk to us about their company. So I saw you present at Piper. I thought it was a great story. Uh, it's got a nice balance of med tech and services to a degree and also kind of a little bit of consumer flair, a little mm-hmm. bit of fun there. Can you tell us a little bit about Outset, uh, what your approach is and, and what your intentions are? Sure. So we're trying to use technology to drive service model innovation in the dialysis space, mm-hmm. which hasn't changed a whole lot in terms of the technology or the service model in the last 20 or 30 years. And we're doing that by applying consumer design and cloud-based data. Now, where is the the consumer design comes into the, the, the device itself? It's the, the, and I should have known this, but it's the Tableau. Yes. Is it's, ta- it's Tableau. And it's got a kind of a cool design to it. It's just a nice box on wheels. It kind of looks like almost a larger humidifier or something. It's a very, very unintimidating uh, device. Yeah, we, we really thought a lot about trying to take the fear factor out of dialysis for mm-hmm. the everyday user. So as opposed to most uh, dialysis machines that are targeted for a professional user, a nurse, a technician, those are designed with a lot of complexity because the professional user is capable of a lot of complexity. We design Tableau really for the everyday user, the person like you or me who may only use one button on their remote control <laughs> or doesn't want to read a 300-page instruction manual on how to put furniture together. Sure. Um, something that everyday consumers in a dialysis clinic could use to enable a change in the service model from what today is really um, full service, the technician does everything for the patient when they come in and sit down in the dialysis chair, we want to change that to self-serve dialysis, not unlike the shift we've seen at a gas station from full service gas station to self-service gas station. Mm-hmm. We see an opportunity to allow the dialysis patient to walk into a dialysis clinic, probably a special, more boutique area of the clinic, set up Tableau on their own. Tableau is fully automated, so it monitors the treatment for them, 
break it down and leave with a lot more schedule flexibility, control, and independence in a business model that allows the dialysis providers, whether it's Fresenius or Satellite or DeVita, to take their costs down by changing their labor model inside mm. the dialysis clinic. So they could go on a website maybe, kind of like a co-working thing, and schedule their time that right. day or something right. like that, see yeah. what slots are available. Yeah. Where does the cloud aspect come into things? So Tableau has a cellular and a wireless modem inside. So we're actually transmitting every piece of treatment data during every single treatment up to the cloud directly from Tableau and down to the provider's EMR so it can be integrated there. We also are streaming data during the treatment on every pump, every sensor, every valve inside every Tableau back to outset so that we can provide more uh, predictive preventive care as opposed to the traditional model of capital equipment where something breaks and you have to go rush out and fix it. Mm -hmm. We think now with today's technology, there's an opportunity to be a lot smarter about remote service and be more preventive as opposed to reactive. Interesting. So we've seen it, uh, efforts at home-based dialysis before. Mm -hmm. This is not that, or at least not initially, right? Yes. That you're, you're, why, was there initially a home-based strategy with this sort of product? Because it seems like that might be the direction you're ultimately going. There was. When the company was first capitalized by Warburg Pincus around 2010, there was a big emphasis on home. And in fact, the really the investment thesis was we're going to build a better system for home. That vision is still very much intact. I think what we discovered along the way is that it's bigger than that. When you, when you sit down and talk to dialysis providers, mm -hmm. What you really hear them saying is, hey, we need innovation in the dialysis clinic because we've got a rising patient population and we've got a declining Medicare rate. And about 85% of the patients served in a dialysis clinic are either Medicare or Medicaid. Hmm. And that's really where they're facing the most acute cost pressures. So we saw an opportunity that's inclusive of home, but much bigger than home. How do you innovate inside the dialysis clinic to help the providers capture more profit, essentially, from dialysis through the use of technology. So the, the, the cry for innovation is coming from the centers itself. It's not you going to them and saying, we have this new product that you should use because we think it's a better way of doing things. They're actually, they, they see the need for innovation themselves. They see an opportunity. They see mm -hmm. an opportunity to think about different modalities of care that, number one, will provide a better patient care experience. Let's not forget, I mean, the number one focus of these dialysis providers is to provide exceptional care for the patients. Sure, and I think increasingly they're seeing self-care as a way to do this. Self-care is a modality that's been offered in Europe in the past, so it's not totally new. There's been some experience in Europe, which often happens in medical devices. <laughs> we see the Europeans experimenting with things um, sometimes before they hit the United States. But so I think they see it as an opportunity for a much better patient care experience, potentially better clinical outcomes. I think there's certainly some suggestion from the European experience that when people are in control of their care, when they have control, ownership, and, uh, and, and independence, that they may do better clinically. We may see a reduction in the number of mistreatments. We may see a reduction in the number of hospitalization days. And that becomes increasingly important as this ACO model is now coming to dialysis, mm -hmm. where the providers increasingly are going to be responsible for the patient's total cost of care. Whether they're in a dialysis clinic or the hospital, though dialysis providers uh, may be picking up that tab. So I think the interest is increasing in getting a, a handle on the patient's total wellness and having more influence over, over those events. What is the, the secret sauce or the secret technology of Tableau? It's beyond just having a, a, a very attractive exterior. There's, what, what goes on inside that makes it so unique? There's really three key innovations. One, we've already touched on consumer design that hasn't been done before mm -hmm. in, in dialysis. Two is, is cloud-based data. We've touched on that as well. Hasn't been brought to dialysis yet. 
The third is the concept of dialysis on demand. Mm -hmm. Today in the dialysis clinic, every clinic, and there's about 6,500 of them, have to operate a very large water treatment plant, essentially. It's a water processing facility, usually anywhere from 600 to 1,000 square feet in the back behind the clinic. And they make dialysate and they purify water in bulk. And then they, they distribute that dialysate through pipes in the wall and to the individual dialysis machines in the clinic. Tableau makes that all go away. There is no longer any requirement to have a water treatment room no infrastructure because we have a very novel water purification technology inside Tableau that instantaneously purifies water, any source of tap water. We just need a hook up to a faucet essentially. So we make dialysis ready purified water on demand. Mm -hmm. And then we make the dialysate while the patient is dialyzing. So it's the concept of streaming dialysis you know, the Netflix for dialysis, if you will. <laughs> and, um, and so we allow the clinics to really maybe think differently as they're building out new dialysis facilities, which they're still doing today. It, uh, it liberalizes perhaps their opportunity to build smaller clinics, maybe in more rural areas or in more densely populated urban areas that already have a lot of dialysis clinics. Um, it's been tough to make smaller clinics profitable in the past because you've always had that infrastructure, that fixed investment of the water treatment room that you had to not mm -hmm. only build, but you had to maintain. Today, if now you just need essentially a room and some tableaus and access to water, you could think differently about the, the, the types of dialysis clinics you could build sure. and what those could even look like. So could you have a... a a, a dialysis center within a Walgreens, kind of next to a mini clinic. That's a possibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Going to take a quick break from this conversation with Leslie Trigg. I hope you're enjoying it. To remind you to go to medtechconference.com. That is how you register to go to the MedTech Conference. Couldn't be any simpler than that. Go to medtechconference.com. We've just redesigned it. It looks fantastic. Great work to our team, led by Mario and uh, sign up and we'll see you on June 1st in Minneapolis. Now back to this conversation. So you've got FDA approval for the device, correct? We do for any acute or chronic care setting. Okay. We have an approved IDE to seek home clearance, but we have today we have clearance for any acute or chronic care facility. So that would be um, an extended care facility like a SNF or a hospital environment or, of course, a dialysis clinic environment. So and, and that carries over to if you had it within the dialysis center but had it in a room of its own, a mm -hmm. little boutique room, that still yes, qualifies. Yes, in a chronic care facility, correct. So yeah. you've got that, and in, in it's obviously a reimbursed procedure. So right. how is the rollout going for you? What are What is would be standing in the way of your success, if anything, is standing in your way at all? Well, you accurately point out that for most medical device companies, they're primarily worried about regulatory or reimbursement risk, and those are not, fortunately, risks that we uh, have to spend a lot of time thinking about. What we do spend a lot of time thinking about is a deliberate, thoughtful approach to the commercial rollout. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a common mistake that many medical device, smaller medical device companies make is the temptation to scale too quickly. And what I've learned through my career in a number of different medical device startups is while the temptation is very real, you must resist it because <laughs> you do learn things about your device 
um, on treatment 1000. You do learn new things about your device when you're in your uh, 50th clinic and your 100th clinic and your 1000th clinic that you couldn't have anticipated that you would learn and it's all a function of scale. So we're very, very focused on making sure that we resist the temptation to scale too quickly and resist the temptation to reach too soon for uh, for high aggregate revenue and really focus first on getting the foundation right and making sure that we learn what we need to learn to scale appropriately over a longer time horizon. And you had success at uh, companies like Lutonix mm -hmm. and Fox Hollow. Then you found your way to, to Warburg Pincus, mm -hmm. right? How did you make that, what was, what was that transition about? Were you looking for an opportunity like this or were you sort of eyeing a, a potential shift to the venture side of the, of the table? No, I'm, I'm a commercial operating person. That, that's what I love to do. Squash, no, uh, I was not going. That's no, just that I don't have any special talents that I can apply to uh -huh. an organization like Warburg, you know, in terms of sourcing new deals or, or leading a diligence process or making investment decisions. There's nobody better on the planet than, than Warburg to do that. Um, I, I think what intrigued me about the opportunity to work with Warburg was actually working with their existing portfolio companies. How could I help make, in, make investments uh, that they had already committed to potentially more successful. Mm -hmm. And so that's how it started, really was a conversation around, hey, you know, would you have interest in spreading your time over a couple different portfolio companies? And those crossed uh, carotid to stroke to home dialysis at that time. And, and that's how I eventually found Outset Medical was through this affiliation with Warburg. Um, I think it was a great opportunity to see connection points um, in and around many different industries that, that on the surface may not seem to have very much in common, but they all fundamentally have one big thing in common, which is leading people mm -hmm. to do things that on an individual basis, any one individual may not think is possible. And that's always a, a common theme. You know, how do you, how do you effectively build a team and then kind of motivate them in the right direction um, and instill confidence that you're going to make it despite a lot of stumbles along the way? So what was it about this opportunity that uh, did you did you know immediately this is something I want to pursue more or did it sort of grow on you after a while? I knew immediately. Really? What really, yes, which has not always been the case in my career because <laughs> I don't have any special uh, crystal ball. But this one really spoke to me on a different level. I loved, I was immediately intrigued by the fact that it really is a space that hasn't changed very much. Again, mm -hmm. as, as we said in the beginning, in 20 or 30 years, both in terms of the technology and the way that dialysis is delivered, it, there's only two options for patients. You can either do nothing uh, in the clinic or you can do everything at home where there's absolutely no safety net. And what, what intrigued me was the opportunity to create this new modality in, in the middle, mm -hmm. kind of capturing the best of all worlds um, at home and the best of all worlds in the clinic the opportunity to get more control, more independence, more flexibility that you get from home, but in a clinic environment where you can still kind of have that safety net of support when you need it. So that's, that's what spoke to me. And the opportunity to develop a technology that could catalyze a new service model was very intriguing and I thought was really, really special. Is this, you've been in, in MedTech for a time and I said had some great success there. Is there... Have you identified problems within MedTech that need to be that need to be fixed? And does does Tableau sort of represent uh, one of those approaches? We make taking on more of a consumer role, and I know you can't apply that to every yeah. MedTech technology. But is this sort of is outset sort of a, 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 a prototype of what MedTech could be in the future as you incorporate digital technology or cloud technology, consumer approaches? Is this sort of a, a model for other companies going forward? I think one of the best things that's happened to med tech 
is the emergence of companies like Google and Fitbit mm -hmm. and Apple. The entrance of those companies, those traditional tech companies into medtech, I think it's the best thing that could have ever happened to our industry because it was a bit of a wake-up call, mm -hmm. uh, for me at least, to see, hey, these companies are, are, are coming. And we saw that being out here in Silicon Valley. We saw that coming very quickly because we started competing against those companies for top engineering talent, Interesting. both on the software and the mechanical side. So I got that wake-up call a few years ago as we, frankly, lost out on some exceptional candidates going to traditional tech companies. Companies, it's like, wait a second, what's going on here? We used to have our pick of the litter here in MedTech. That will no longer be the case. So that's just one example of the impact. But I think the greater impact is a, a forced integration, integrated thinking on the part of MedTech executives about what's possible leveraging not only in our world has been largely mechanical and mm -hmm. electrical to date, and just thinking more broadly about, okay, so we have a great electromechanical device. How do we apply data to that? I'm not sure that five years ago, that would have been the first question on somebody's mind. No, you're right. And I think the answer was always like slap a sensor on it and then we'll say yeah. it's digital, but it has to go right. far beyond that. It has to go far far beyond that. And also because the audience now is so much broader, you not only have to think about how am I going to get this data to a physician maybe, which was was our primary task uh, maybe with, with pacemakers or ICD technology. How, do we, how does the physician get that data? Now it's how does the patient get that data? Mm -hmm. How does the purchasing person, how does the hospital um, CEO get that data? How does the patient's family, you know, other caregivers get that data? How are we going to connect those patients together around this device? Those are all new questions. Do you think patients really want all of that data? In, in, in your interaction with, with, I assume you're plugged in the dialysis community, do you get a sense that they really do crave more control or do, is there still a hunger for the paternalistic sort of tell me what to do to get better, tell me where to go to get better? Well, I think the answer, of course, is it depends. There's yeah. never going to be one universal patient in the same way that I may want different pieces of information than you do. Mm -hmm. I think probably what any person, I'm going to call them people because you and I are patients to someone, but we're in the rest of our lives we're people. I think what most people want universally is information that's practical. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when we think about what data we transmit to a patient from Tableau, which is one of our, our big efforts, it's not all the data. I don't think most people want their um, venous pressure or their arterial pressure from a three and a half hour treatment, that pressure measurement every minute. Mm -hmm. That's because it's not actionable. It's not usable. Would somebody want um, more tangible information like, was my treatment successful? Did it work? Um, did I attend the number of treatments that I was supposed to this week? How mm. am I doing relative to others in terms of total number of hours on dialysis? How's my weight gain in between dialysis sessions? Am I taking off mm. enough fluid? There's probably, you know, when you break it down, maybe three to five pieces of information that I think are really practical and really usable and that most people would want. I think most people want to know, you know, is my treatment working, especially with something like dialysis, which is so time-consuming. Sure. You know, you, I think information will help people keep going, ultimately. Well, it's the, the 10,000 steps on your Fitbit device. You know, you really, you want that exactly. buzz when you get to 10,000. You want a to feel that reward. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Will some people want more than that? I think so. Yeah. Um, should we offer the opportunity to get more if you can? Yes. I think the common denominator is probably a smaller data subset, though. Mm -hmm. And I think even with a little bit of information, to your point, I think that's going to be motivating in right. the right ways. Well, it's an exciting story. I wish you luck, and thank you for taking a few minutes today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Excellent. Thanks. Thank you, Leslie Trigg, for joining me at J.P. Morgan and uh, for sharing your thoughts about MedTech, your many great successes, and, and your, 
your hopes and dreams uh, for uh, Outset. It's a, it's an exciting company. It's one that uh, we're happy to have uh, represented at the MedTech Conference, which will be held on June 1st at the Lowe's Minneapolis Hotel. Go to medtechconference.com to register, and we will see you in Minneapolis.